reconditioned chair, we're talking about reconditioning ourselves. And as I watch that video, I, I think about, man, wouldn't it be nice if I could change things in myself as easily as you can change a chair. All you need is to take some sandpaper and a couple hours and you got a brand new chair. But for some reason on me, in my heart, in my attitude, in my life, it's just so much harder and it's a process and it's ones of ups and downs. But the good news in this series that we're recognizing is that Jesus is with us along the whole way and gives us the strength that we need not only to forgive us, but to make real change. And so, again, I'd like to welcome all of you to part uh, three of this series and also like to welcome those who are going to be watching online. We're blessed to be able to uh, share this message with all of you as well. This past week, there was a group of pictures that were being passed along on social media, and it caught my attention first because it made me laugh, and then it caught my attention a second time because I felt like, wow, there is a good corollary to our message for today, and so guess what I get to do? I get to share the pictures with you because it has a lot to do, or at least gets us thinking about a truth that I want you to see also is very true spiritually. So maybe some of you already saw these pictures, but these are pictures of what happens when you're not paying attention to your kids. Um, here, you know, we've got an interior decorator in the making. She felt like it needed a splash of red, and so she went about and uh, had a little bit of time on her hands to, to make red all over there. Um, I see this girl, and I think of uh, the Oompa Loompas on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory or something, but I don't know where the parents are, but she had enough time to sort of, uh, you know, color herself and also walk around a little bit in the living room. Not a, not a whole lot of fun there. Next picture. Um, yeah, this looks like uh, baby powder now everywhere. Uh, you know, baby needs to be powdered. Just have him or her sit in a chair at this point. Next one. The best that I can tell, I'm pretty sure because of how it's clumping, this is like some sort of eucerin cream type of thing, some lotion, and, you know, the, the TV was looking like it had dry skin, and so the, uh, this kid decided to put lotion all over. Next one. Um, yeah, this, this is not only a mess, but dangerous. You know, we don't want any drowning going on, but bubbles everywhere. Last one. Probably the most unique. Um, where are the parents? I have no idea. Cool dog, bad parents, I think, as the, uh, this boy decided that uh, um, Spuds McKenzie there needed uh, some drawing on uh, her, I guess. Um, I look at these pictures, and my reaction is, where are the parents, and are they at all paying any attention? And it, it, it's a really good thing to remember if you're an aspiring parent that it is really important to pay attention to your kids because if you don't hear them in another room, that's not necessarily a great sign. It could be, it also could be that the dog is being markered on, okay? Paying attention is important in other areas of life as well, probably every area of life. But I was thinking of driving and about how most accidents in our country for sure, maybe even in our world, are not due to bad drivers. It has to do with inattentive drivers. 
And whether it be texting or calling or eating or fixing makeup or fixing hair or disciplining or changing the radio or whatever it is, most accidents happen because people aren't paying attention. I think of relationships. Oftentimes, the reason why there's a disconnect between husband and wife is because they aren't paying attention to what each other are really saying. And in fact, this bigger problem can happen on a much smaller scale, as I found out a couple nights ago, where Carrie was talking to me and I was doing something else, and, you know, she wasn't happy that I wasn't paying attention, and I quickly changed my tune and started paying attention. Paying attention is important. In fact, I have our first fill-in for you today, which Matt did a rhyme last week, so I thought I'd follow suit. The first part of prevention is making sure to pay attention. So my point here is that if you want to prevent your kids from getting marker everywhere in the bathroom, pay attention. If you want to better prevent getting in a car accident, pay attention. The first part of prevention of something that is not desirable is making sure that you pay attention. Now, while this is true in worldly sense, it is also so true in our spiritual sense as well, in our our faith relationship with God. And in fact, today in our message, what we're going to find as we look at uh, God's Word is that we're going to find that there is this thing going on right now all the time that you and I need to pay attention to And the cool thing is that Jesus not only directs Peter to pay attention, but he also gives him a way to better pay attention and for the strength to get through this thing that's around us. All right, we'll get there in a second. First, a little bit real quick about this series. Um, Peter is a guy that you you look at, you think he's one of the 12 disciples, you, you think of you know, just how bold he was after Jesus died and rose again, in, in which he was able to, to preach and to, to, to speak loudly about the truth of Jesus, even though there were people that wanted to kill him and eventually did. And you and I might think that Peter was always this way. But if that's what we thought, the reality is it's just not true. That Peter needed to go through a reconditioning that Peter, even in his good moments, wasn't perfect, and in his younger years, <laughs> had a lot of issues. And yet Jesus continually taught him and continually reconditioned him, and we see a new Peter arise <laughs> later in his life. And so we're just sort of looking in on these conversations that Jesus had with Peter in an effort to also, God willing, grow in our faith walk with God. So tonight, today, we are in Matthew chapter 26. We see the context in the very first verse when he says, then. Then Jesus went. Last week, we saw Jesus speak with Peter in a room. This was the night before Jesus died. Right after Jesus was in that room with his disciples, they left the room and they went across town, across a valley outside the city walls, to a, well, to a place called Gethsemane. Now, many of you might know Gethsemane as the Garden of Gethsemane, but probably in our vernacular, it's better said a park. It was a large area, um, lots of trees, more than flowers, lots of olive trees, and it was a place people often went during the day uh, for pretty scenery during the night at times, like here, for a place of quiet. 
And so Jesus takes the 11 disciples with him to Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37. So then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. So just to visualize this, they come to the, they come to the park. He tells eight of his disciples to stay put, stay here. And then he says, Peter, James, and John, why don't you come with me? And they walk a little further into the park with three of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. And it says that he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So Matthew, who's writing this, he's one of the um, 11 left disciples. And not only is Matthew writing by God's direction, Matthew's writing about what he saw. And here's what he saw. He saw Jesus in the room, celebrating the Passover, instituting communion, acting pretty normal. And then he saw when they got to the garden, and as he left the eight, and then left the three, that he began to look different. His demeanor changed. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Verse 38 explains it more. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed, burdened with sorrow to the point of death. I don't know if these words have ever troubled you. Like, how could Jesus, who's the Son of God, (laughs) be feeling so overwhelmed like I feel overwhelmed sometimes? This is a great insight into the, the reality of who Jesus was. Yeah, he was true God. And so he's able to do miracles, and in his godliness, um, he has all power. But for his time here on earth, he decided to become a human being. And he got tired, and he got hungry, and he was able to be overwhelmed. And that's how Jesus felt in this moment. What was going on? Well, Jesus knew what was going to be happening in the next 12 to 18 hours. He knew what was ahead of him. Let me ask you a question. If you could know the day you were going to die, would you want to know or not? Would you sign up for that? Would you rather not know? That's an interesting question. I'm not exactly sure how I would answer that question. But I do know that there would be some tension over knowing you're going to die, and not just knowing you're going to die, knowing it's going to be for Jesus in the worst physically painful way ever invented on a cross, and that not only that, that the worst part of the death just in the next day is not going to even be the cross. It's going to be the thing that you cannot see, Jesus suffering the pain of hell itself. Now, what is that like? What's it like to suffer hell? I am glad, for one, that I will never need to know by faith, and you either, by faith in Jesus Christ. But we get little glimpses of how horrible a thing it is. And I think the best way to understand it is not to think about fire and flames, although the Bible alludes to that. I think the best way to think about just how horrible hell will be is to look at what Jesus had to say on the cross. And towards the end of his life, just a little bit before he would die, it's recorded that Jesus didn't say, he didn't speak, but he cried out in anguish, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The worst part of hell is going to be the absence of God and his faithful love and his faithful presence. I mean, think about it this way. Even here on earth, even for those who don't believe in Jesus, 
They are beneficiaries of God's presence. As God keeps the, the, the stars in orbit, the, the sun to shine, that God is behind the seasons and behind the crops growing, even the unbelievers receive blessings of God's presence here on this earth. But in hell, the worst part is he's not there. And Jesus is thinking about the next half a day, and he's thinking about all that he's going to have to go through. And he is, in his humanity, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point that he felt like dying. Says to the disciples, stay here and keep watch. Stay here and keep watch. Stay here and pay attention. Pay attention. We'll get back to that. Verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. I want you, and we're going to come back to this in just a little bit, but I want you to take notice of when Jesus is overwhelmed, what does he do? He prays. And this is not just one example of Jesus doing this. In fact, I put four examples in your questions, in the growth group questions, but I could have put a whole bunch more than that. Time and time and time again, we see Jesus modeling a strong prayer life. Here's what I think. I think if Jesus found the blessing in prayer as the Son of God, there must be something to it. That prayer must be a huge blessing for us as well. I know it is. And so he prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. May this pain be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Let's pause here. Is Jesus having second thoughts? Is he thinking, you know what, this whole... This whole saving the world thing? Is his love growing cold for people? Is he having second thoughts about carrying out his work as Savior? No, that's not the case. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Father, I'm here to save the people of this world. In just a little bit, I'm going to be suffering the cross and hell. If there's any way to save the world and to be able to bypass the cross, now's the time to let me know because it's coming and it's coming soon. Father, if there's any way to do this work of Savior but skip the cross, let me know, but not as you will, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples. And what was his direction for them? Keep watch, stay awake, pay attention. And they're sleeping. Verse 41. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He said, he asked Peter, the man of our series. He says, watch and pray so that. And when I was um, a kid, I always thought that the reason why Jesus wanted them to watch was that they were watching for, let's say, when Judas was coming to betray him, because that would happen in just a little while, or watching for the Jewish officials to come and to arrest him, to watch for some earthly thing. But to think that doesn't take in mind exactly what Jesus says right after it. Watch and pray, not so that you will know when my betrayer comes. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. There's a different type of watching. It wasn't watching with your eyes and pay attention to the people that are coming. What Jesus wanted the disciples to do in this very 
tense and intense time was to pay attention to what was going behind the, on behind the scenes, what was going on that they couldn't see, what was going on with the devil at work and with the temptation that they would be facing, not only in that moment, but in the days and weeks that followed. Be on spiritual watch and pay attention. The Spirit's willing to follow me. The body is weak, though. Next verse. It is so interesting that Peter, the one who fell asleep along with James and John, the one who didn't pay attention, later in his life, almost as if he's looking back on this moment and other moments in his life, writes so confidently about how important it is to do exactly what Jesus had encouraged them to do that night, to keep watch, to keep watch for the devil and his temptations, where Peter writes later in his life, be self-controlled and alert, because why? Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, and he's continuously looking for someone to devour, for someone to mess up, for someone to rip away from God's grace and love. I did a, a Google search this week that I had never done before. The words were, trainer attacked by lion. And I was surprised to find over 400,000 hits on trainer attacked by lion. Now, there's not 400,000 people that were attacked by a lion as I scrolled through a couple pages, but certainly there are tens of thousands of people who've been attacked by a lion. Now, I understand this is a way to make a living, but on the other hand, there are better ways to make a living. I mean, how foolish it is to put yourself in the cage of a lion and how we should not be surprised if at some point a lion acts the way a lion does and attacks, mauls, devours the trainer. That, that is certainly not a funny thing. That's the analogy that Peter is using about the devil. And I, I want to be really clear with you. There's this, this dichotomy between the fact that we need to be aware of the power of the devil. And as soon as we just sort of not pay attention to temptation, as, we, as soon as we call, call sin no big deal or think the devil is no big deal, we're in danger. But while at the same time not having to be afraid of the devil, knowing that Jesus Christ is stronger than, knowing that, that the battle has been won, but it's so important to be self-controlled and alert. It's so important to do what the disciples didn't do in the garden, to keep watch, to pay attention to what's going on. How are you at paying attention? How are you at keeping watch? Another question, how often do we consciously, because sometimes this happens unconsciously, but how often do we consciously or deliberately allow ourselves to be in a cage with a lion? Can I give you some examples? So let's say that you are a person that struggles with greed or not being happy or discontentment and things like that. And you find 
that when you go window shopping or you go to the Parade of Homes or you go on certain social media and see what other people have and, and all of that experience, you find that the, the greed in you, the discontentment, the unhappiness with God sort of sparks up like a flame and gets stronger. What do we do? Here's what we do. We pay attention. And maybe we stay off of social media for a day or a week. Maybe we find that whenever we go on there, it's like being in the cage with a lion and we stay off it all together. We get off it all together. Maybe we don't go to websites that spark in this, oh, if only then, if only, and we stay away from those things. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you, but what I am saying is what Peter said, that we need to be self-controlled and alert because the devil wants to have a foothold in our lives. Let's say you have issues with over-drinking or maybe drugs, and you find that in your life you have a lot of people that have problems with over-drinking and using drugs. You find yourself in the cage with a lion, and the best thing to do is to pay attention and to get out of the lion's cage. Maybe find different friends. What if you are a person that has a tendency to be negative and to gossip? Negativity and gossip. And you find that in your life, you're surrounded by people who are negative and gossip. Negative and gossip. I think you have two choices if you want to get out of the cage. One is to be a catalyst of change in your friends. Or two... Find new friends. This whole idea of paying attention is true with decisions in relationships, especially dating relationships. If you've put yourself in a circumstance or with a person that's continually tempting you to do things that you know are not right, get out of the cage. It's true with jobs. It's true with everything in our life. And the reality is, is we cannot separate ourselves from all temptation. But to, for us to just think that we can't help a little bit by getting out of certain things that we know are not good for us, there's absolutely that not only possibility, there's that encouragement from Jesus to the disciples in the garden and by Peter here in this verse. Our next fill-in. The devil wants you to pay him no attention. Because as soon as we decide, you know what? No big deal. I'm forgiven anyway. No big deal. Jesus is stronger than the devil. No big deal, devil. No big deal, temptation. That's when we are in danger of tripping up. That's when we are in danger of weakening our relationship with God, possibly losing it altogether. Possibly losing it altogether. Let's go back to verse 41. Um, Jesus had told the disciples to watch, pay attention, talked about that. He also told them to pray. And the, the coolest thing in this section is that Jesus not only gives them direction about praying and, and the importance of spending quiet time with God in prayer, he models it. He models it. Let's go on to the next verse, verse uh, 42. So Jesus went away a second time to pray. He prayed once, now he's praying a second time. And he prays, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, unless I go to the cross, may your will be done. And he came back 
He again found the disciples not paying attention. Not, they found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Verse 44. So he left them, and he went away once more. What did he do? And he prayed the third time, and he said the same thing. Verse 45. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you guys still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. What hour? The hour the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then here is this phrase from Jesus that is so different than how Jesus was described when he first came to the Garden of Gethsemane. Here we see an exclamation point. We see confidence. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. What happened with Jesus? Spent time with God in prayer. He paid attention, like he was asking the disciples to do, <laughs> and then he spent time with the Father. And in a different account recorded for us about this evening, we're told that as Jesus prayed, the Father heard the prayer and sent an angel to strengthen Jesus. It was not an accident that Jesus had more confidence and determination. It was God the Father strengthening him and answering his prayer. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Watch and pray. Watch, pay attention, pray. One of the best ways that you and I can be continually aware, but also continually strong in the fight, is to spend regular time with God in prayer and Bible reading, prayer, and Bible reading, prayer, talking to God, Bible reading, God talking to us, prayer, talking to God, Bible reading, God talking to us. Any good relationship has regular and healthy conversation or communication. This is our way, prayer, Bible reading, prayer, Bible reading, for us to grow a relationship with our Father and to communicate with him. Now, this might be something that you struggle with, and I think there's a couple reasons for that, if it's the case. One of them is that you don't know what to do. And especially when it comes to the Bible reading, I want to really point out the box in your colored insert. Because in that box, there are four different resources that I have found to be really helpful for me in my Bible reading and in my, my time with God and listening to him speak. If you have any questions about those, please let me know. But the other thing that I found to be totally important and probably comes before knowing the resources is I have to, our next fill-in, I have to make time to make time. It's time right now to make time with the Lord. And what I mean by that is, if we do not think about and put on our calendars a time every day in our schedules where we're going to do this, it's not going to happen. Let me give you an example. I love to exercise. It's harder to exercise with this full-time job thing and kids and everything. And so there was like three years there where I was so sporadic, once a month, once every other month, once a week. It was just horrible. What needed to happen, because the spirit was willing, but the body was weak, <laughs> what needed to happen is that I needed to look at my schedule and find the right time. And I found it. If I just leave work a little early, get home just a little late, there's this hour that I can find 
in the later part of my day, and once I found the time and I held that sacred or kept other things off that time slot, I've been exercising pretty regularly on most weeks since then. We need to do the same thing with time with God. 15 minutes, 20, 25, I I don't know what it is for you exactly. But it's that time as we pay attention to what's going on around us, that time to grow our bonds of relationship with God for him to strengthen us through that communication that we have. That Jesus found so much benefit in keeping him strong in even the darkest and, and most difficult of a moment like we saw today and through which whether you are five or 105 will be a blessing to you as well. It's time to make time with the Lord. In the 1992 Olympics, there was a 400-meter runner from England named Derek Redmond. I think we have a picture of him on the screen here. Uh, Derek Redmond um, had qualified for the 1988 Olympics, but he was dealing with an Achilles injury, and like what I read was about 10 minutes before the race started, he basically had to say he could not run because his injury was was too challenging. Over the next year, he had five surgeries on his Achilles and on his legs. He worked really hard until the next Olympics in 92. He qualified and actually was one of the front runners to win the 400-meter dash. So he's in the semifinal heat. If he's in the top four, I think, he gets to go on to the finals. And as the race starts, he's leading. I mean, it's inevitable that he's going to win the race because the race is half over and he's got quite the gap. About 170 meters left, his hamstring snaps. He falls to the ground. And all of the other runners pass him by. Now, he was determined. All the work that he put into it, he was determined move forward. He was determined to get to the finish line, even if he wasn't going to win. So he starts hopping along. And as he's hopping along, all of a sudden, some guy starts running on the track. He had skirted the uh, security. He had come out from the stands. And that guy who came up behind him was his dad, Jim Redmond. And as Derek saw Jim right next to him, he just kind of collapsed onto Jim. And Jim, his dad, carried him to the finish line. And uh, it's a pretty moving thing if you want to YouTube it. Pretty amazing display of just what an awesome relationship they had and what an amazing thing it was for dad to help him across the finish line. Christians, here's what I want you to know. The victory, the race, it's been won. We win. Christ won it for us. We get the crown of glory. We get the the first place medal. We get heaven. And yet the race is still hard. The race still has its struggles. It's nice to have a father who loves you enough to help you across. 
how important it is to grow those relations, that relationship, that faith relationship with him, to spend time with our Heavenly Father and to know that while we have been forgiven by Christ, God the Father also promises to carry us in those times of difficulty, to defend us against that enemy that prowls around, to forgive us when we fall. May we watch and pray, just like Peter learned in the garden. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in the Word, time where we're able to listen to you speak to us, and now we speak to you. Lord, help all of us to make this not just a weekly event, but something that we do each and every day. Dear Lord, we also come to you in prayer this morning, and we pray for our brother in the faith, uh, Craig Seifkin, who's going to be having surgery on Wednesday. We ask you to guide the doctor's hands, guide their plan, that it be an effective one, and may this surgery be a blessing uh, to Craig, his health, and to his family. Strengthen uh, Craig and Jen with the knowledge of your presence, um, the Heavenly Father who carries us. We pray all this in Jesus' name and also pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.